0: Hello and welcome to the first episode of Primary Educator, how I explain how I am prepared to be a professional and confident primary educator. Throughout this episode, we are going to talk about all of the different ways that I have connected with the material we have learned throughout the semester based on the uh, seven standards that we have learned about. Throughout this podcast, I'm going to include my own identification and interpretation of the various material that we have learned, along with little anecdotes of everything that I have found important. So to start off, I would like to start with a very quick brain smart start, which is a great way to start any activity that you begin with a classroom. So to start today, I want to enter with a quick breathing exercise. So we're just going to breathe in for three counts. Hold it for two counts and then breathe out for three more. So on my count, let's go. One, hold. Breathing is a great way to recenter a lot of students and get them focused in on what is going to be getting for the duration of class. Another part of a brain smart start is to identify which state of the brain model we are in. So For example, green would be if we are in the executive state, which means we are ready to learn we're in the optimal level to begin our actual day. Blue is in the emotional level, so we're kind of feeling a little on edge, and we might not be able to completely focus on the lesson at hand, which means we're going to try to take some deep breaths potentially, refocus, go to a corner to interact with some um, different objects to recenter, and then we'll be ready to learn. If we are in red, we are in survival state, which means that we are um, not probably going to be focusing on actually learning anything because we feel that we are under threat or self-defense. So today I would identify myself as a mixture of green and blue. Green because I feel like I'm going to rock this podcast. Blue because I'm a little overwhelmed and stressed out with everything that I've been working on lately, but that is part of college. So... With that, I want to do one last part of the BrainSmart start, and we are going to do a little bit more of a connection. So as I record this, I want to connect with all the listeners in identifying how this is going to be a super great podcast, and I hope that everyone else has picked a project that they are super interested and excited for. So with further ado, without further ado, rather, I'm going to start talking about the material and how I've learned everything this semester. So the first standard that I think is, um, well, as it is standard number one, but I think this is probably the standard I feel extremely passionate and excited to talk about, which is standard number one, children development and learning. So the first part of this standard I believe is important is the actual brain state model, which if we look in our textbook is of conscious discipline is throughout chapter number two. So Dr. Bailey, Becky Bailey, talks a lot about the three states that I've already talked about a little bit previously, which is the survival state, emotional state, and executive state. So the brain states as an educator allow me to evaluate where a student is based on the situation at hand. So if, for example, a student is in survival state, which is to feel like you are under threat, self-defense, fight or flight, freeze type ideas, the student is wondering if they are safe this student, I un- will come to understand, is probably not going to want to interact with me and is going to need a little bit of time to cool down in order for me to prompt them into more of an emotional state type thing. With the emotional state, the emotional state is when a conditioned reaction emerge. It is when the student is beginning to question if they are loved. So this is when a student might be saying things such as, I hate you in response to being redirected towards filling out a worksheet or um, just acting out towards peers. And the final state that we have to talk about is the executive state, which is when optimal integrated learning is going to occur. So this is when there's an alertness and your feelings and your thoughts are aligned. And this is when a student is in the what can I learn type phase. So this is the most ideal state for both the teacher and the students to be in because this is when we're going to be able to work through any difficulties or anything that is going to prevent a barrier to learn and we are going to be there to learn. So overall the brain state model is what helps students understand the course of the school day and learn how to self-regulate because there's constantly going to be different emotions and brain states and overall levels of how a student is engaging along with the teacher throughout the day. So when we know the brain states, we are better able and equipped to um, interact with the students and have students interact with each other. And when students are aware of the brain states a little bit more, then they can realize, hey, I need to step back and take a little bit of a brain break, do a deep breath, Or something like that and with um, identifying your brain states it's important that the teacher is modeling these things so if a teacher is feeling a little bit like oh my goodness like so much is going on i'm feeling a little frazzled modeling say a deep breath can help to teach the students how to self-regulate and like move themselves to the different states especially trying to get to the executive state in order to continue the course of the day Um, And understanding these states is part of metacognition, which is why younger students might not be able to actually understand why they are acting in such a way, which means that um, as the student gets older and older, based on a lot of educational theorists' ideas, they will gain the skills to get to these different levels. Um, And then the next part that bleeds into this is Um, social emotional learning. So the Ohio social emotional learning goal is to understand and manage emotions, goals, empathy, relations, responsible decisions towards the common good and equality. So social emotional learning is becoming extremely important within the classroom because this is how we are learning the different routines and how emotions would play out in the classroom. So when a teacher has self-awareness, which I previously mentioned, you know, knowing if we're in the executive or emotional, potentially even the survival state, we are able to kind of check in on ourselves and understand how we need, how we can progress and get to the executive state and understanding like how our mental health and how we are as a human being, as opposed to just being the teacher side of us is overall. So when we are able to identify our emotions and other impacts of why we are acting the way that we are acting, we are able to understand a little bit more about ourselves. And we can also work as a powerful resource for families to understand the importance of discussions about feelings and emotions and empathy and all these other ideas. Um, So we can also work in incorporating social emotional learning into our classrooms by having teachers under er Earth actually students students well teachers as well but students understanding the different feelings and emotions so maybe in the morning having an idea like having students come in and identify one emotion that they're feeling so maybe they're super happy because they got to have pancakes for breakfast with whipped cream or maybe they're a little upset because their best friend on the bus wasn't there so emotion understanding and defining these emotions helps for students to be able to also harness their abilities to understand their different um, brain states. Along with the brain states is the idea of the other part of standard one, which is that children have um, development and learning through different ways. So one of these ways that has become a huge focus of the past few weeks is STEAM education. So this is science, technology, engineering, art occasionally, and math. So this is just a new, it's not even new, it's a way that we should have always been teaching education, but we are starting to have a better understanding of how to incorporate it into the school day. And this is when we are connecting material to critical thinking and to previous um, knowledge and everything. And it's also the cross-curricular connections that we are having. So for instance, if we are in reading class and we're reading of book about photosynthesis and maybe instead of reading we can incorporate a little bit of hands-on science so we could have students um, growing a seed and like starting to go through the process of how a seed it develops into a full plant and we can have this process then have students be writing and engaging with it or um having other activities, because STEM is traditionally limited to only maybe a few minutes every single day. At the end of the day, I know when I was in elementary school, we'd have like little 30-minute science lessons, and I always loved science as a student. So I thought that it was kind of not as fun as reading and writing when we only got 30 minutes to science, which I loved, Um, which means that we should be including this STEM STEM material into all of our overall um, educational values. Moving forward, I would like to discuss standard number two, which is building family and community relations. So school families are usually based around the ideas of rituals, routines, and class structures. Conscious Discipline chapter three, Bailey talks about the importance of a school family. And in this school family, we are a, creating routines, which is we're showing students what we are doing every single morning. So maybe a morning routine would be a brain-smart start like what I started this podcast with. And this is a great way that students know exactly what they are going to be doing every single day. A ritual is something like saying good morning to each student as they walk in the door. Because it's, it creates the connection between students and between students and teachers and with everyone else in the community of the classroom. And then class structure is just knowing how we are operating and functioning within the classroom. And it is on page 74, Bailey talks about how a classroom structure is a practice of social emotional skills in life context. So this can include, you know, making eye contact with students, having conscious awareness and connections that work for the relationships and as a motivational system within our classroom. Furthermore, um, Bailey talks about how we need to make small connections throughout the day with our students to build relationships. For example, Professor or Dr. Wynne talked about when it's the first day of school, you can pick out the kid that maybe will be the problematic kid and have them go down the slide appropriately. And then we are making a connection with that kid saying, Hey, I see you, I appreciate and respect you, and I want you to be a role model for the rest of the kids. Which This is a great way to hold students accountable for their actions and also it makes every single kid feel as if they are seen and heard by and known from the teacher perspective. And furthermore from the teacher's perspective is the importance of empathy. So empathy is a, an acceptance. It's a freedom of mind that promotes change by quietly observing the moment, which Bailey says on page 219 in chapter 8, which is an entire chapter based on empathy. There are two different types of empathy. One is emotional, so that's to ask to understand what another person is feeling to help them become conscious of what they're feeling, and the other one is cognitive, which is to Ask to possess insight into someone's thoughts and actions to gain insight and clarify this for them. So empathy is describing what you see from a teacher standpoint. You're noticing what they're feeling and acknowledging. So an example would be, I hear you say that you are upset you didn't get enough time on the playground. I notice that you are upset about this and acknowledging that they, um, are missing, like that they are allowed to be upset about not having enough time on the playground. And an important part of empathy is knowing that just by being heard, you are lowering the anxiety or lessening the anxiety that is presented in that situation. You are validating the emotions that the student is having, which I think is extremely important because I feel like for myself as a child, I don't really remember teachers validating emotions in general. But it is important because it helps develop us as human beings. And an extremely important part of empathy that I learned from this chapter is that empathy is not sharing a response or your own situation to, you know, comfort another person. That's not empathy. That is simply saying, hey, I also have had this experience. That's kind of Detracting attention away from the actual reason why this person is coming to you. So another, instead, we can ask questions about what a feel- what a child is feeling. So we are making sure to understand how they are feeling, and then we are grounding them back to an emotion, an emotion um, that they are feeling, and we are able to work through it. So this can kind of go along with the observing, documenting, and assessing for support in standard three, which is, um, you know, we are building a family connection in the classroom by being able to talk about our emotions through the lens of empathy. Standard four is another super important standard to me because it is the developmental appropriate approach. So within this is the brain states and social emotional learning that I had talked about already. But a huge part of it that I, pre- I just learned about that I find to be extremely exciting is the cognitive reframing and positive regard. So when a student is acting out, they are not, all behaviors are communication, which means that a student might be choosing to not work on their worksheet. And so they are now tapping Sally next door and bothering Sally. Well, why is Johnny bothering Sally? Maybe because Johnny uh, forgot his glasses at home and he can't read the worksheet. Or maybe he's a little confused and needs redirected towards um, another reading of the directions because he is having trouble understanding a certain word within this. So with this means we should be um, treating students with positive regard to show that they are all valued and important within the classroom. So... This means that um, we are acting as a guide to understand the feelings and beliefs for each child, which also correlates to the idea that students have we should be looking at them from a positive regard and an asset based model which means we are not looking at them as having deficits or focusing on their deficits but rather on the overall benefits and um, traits that they are bringing to the classroom that betters us as an entire classroom. So an important part of these cognitive reframing is to acknowledge that a student is making a choice and reframing their attention towards a new activity or something else. So this can be a brain break or introducing a star breath or doing something like that, like that promotes a small break from the activity, but also ensures that they will return to the activity because that is what they are supposed to be doing, which is an important part of having joyful breaks throughout the day. So maybe every half hour, we're going to get up and do six jumping jacks, or we're going to watch a quick little YouTube video dance party, something like that, that gets students excited on what they are learning about and everything. And I think that this is important because we are teaching students how to self-regulate and we are giving them more chances to develop the skills without the assistance of a teacher or someone else telling them what to do and how to self-regulate. And to further this idea is the idea of we should be reflecting and not reacting when a student is making a choice, which means we are not going to be punishing or shaming a child because they made a choice, but instead we need to just say hey like I saw that you did this how about we redirect you towards a different idea and I think that this is the most important part of the theorists that we talked about especially because we talked about um Piaget talks a lot about um the cognitive development of students and so this is like students can Vygotsky talked about like the zone of proximal development. So a student can only reach a certain point and then they need more scaffolding and it's a continuum of development. So this is similar to kind of what Piaget was talking about where um, we are able to think more abstractly once we get to the formal operational stage which relates to what I've just been talking about because a student needs the needs to have the self-regulation skills in order to be able to have more abstract thoughts and such, which is part of a developmentally appropriate approach. Um, Additionally is the importance of Erickson when he talks about the stages of personal development. One that I highlighted within my notes was the identity versus confusion. There's also trust versus mistrust and things like this. I selected identity versus confusion. This is a little more developed than something in primary school, but I still think that students can be working on this, is the idea of knowing who you are as a person versus being confused. And I myself am definitely in that stage of wondering who I am as a student, a future educator, and just a person as a whole, and which values and ideas I want to keep and hold and project onto the world from my own viewpoint versus ideas that maybe I don't want to have myself this relates to Montessori because Montessori talked a lot about having students have their own free choice and I think this specifically relates to standard five which is contact knowledge to meaningful curriculum so one of the articles that I read was talking about risky play and in the article walking into the woods it talked about having students as safe as necessary not safe as possible because it This is on page seven and it was building on the idea of having students being independent, self-reliant and having faith in their surroundings. So Montessori believed that students are going to learn best through free choice. So from exploring or interacting with topics that they find to be the most interesting to themselves. And I think this is a different approach that is very beneficial because a student, if they don't really like reading and they are forced to read the same book as every single other student in your classroom, they're not going to be finding this reading of this book interesting. Whereas if you have, say, five different books, you have a theme of, I don't know, something about diversity. So we are learning about diversity. And students, because it's a second grade classroom, know what they want to learn about diversity. So maybe they want to learn about plant diversity. And another group wants to learn about um, Racial diversity and religious diversity and other types of diversity, because of this free choice, students are going to pick topics and books that they want to learn about and they're going to find this to be most interesting, which goes back to Vygotsky about scaffolding, where we can give students more complex, challenging texts and they are able to work through these because they have the um, critical viewing skills in order to get through these ideas. Um, I think that this idea just builds on resistance and persistence of students. So when we give them meaningful curriculum that is challenging what they know and pushing them a little bit further than what they were previously at, we are allowing students to learn at very high level levels with very critical thinking skills, which I think is extremely important. Um, The final standard that I would like to talk about today is standard number six, which is becoming a professional. And I think the most important part of this standard for me right now is two things. One, it's assertiveness and the other is compassion. So Dr. Bailey in chapter five talks about assertive as being a clear communication of what we want others to do on page 132. So being assertive is using a tone that tells and communicates to the rest of the classroom that you are in control and you are wishing to accomplish certain things. So, it's not being mean. It's simply setting expectations for students to keep them safe and on track. And this relates back to the reframing and treating students with positive regard. It is making sure that we are redirecting what a student's behavior is towards something that we would rather have them doing. So, a highlighted part was the name, verb, and paint that we talked about as a course of being assertive. And as I flip through my notes, skip to this chapter. Um, so we are doing things that we want students to be able to clearly know what we want them to be doing. So with naming, we are making eye contact and saying the student's name. With a verb, we are stating what we see, and painting is the expected, expected behaviors and visual cues to help a student. So we are communicating that we mean what we say, and we say what we mean. And we are in this; we are able to get students to understand the boundaries we have set for behaviors, and they are going to respect them. This also goes into having students create their own ways to manage behavior so if we see a student doing something that we don't really prefer in the classroom we can say hey like you have been saying really terrible things to another student what is a reasonable thing that you can do to make up for this action and to learn your lesson because students are very well adapt at making up their own punishments and part of being a professional is using this assertiveness that we have developed and being able to have students be in charge of themselves because of this metacognition and their higher critical thinking skills. The final part I want to conclude on is the part on compassion. So, I have obviously been feeling extremely burnt out. It's not obvious. It feels obvious internally, but externally I don't know that anybody knows that I'm burnt out, but I know everyone else is burnt out too. But Within the article, Preventing Compassion Fatigue, it talked about how burnout is a reaction to prolonged or chronic stress. And compassion fatigue is a secondary trauma related from absorbing other people's trauma. So with this, I think the most important part that I have learned is that I need a self-care action plan as a professional to treat myself with the respect that I treat others with. So with this, it is... um, being able to have a composure of suspending judgments for myself and being able to understand that I am allowed to call and ask other people for help because other people have the skills and talents and time and development in areas that I don't necessarily have. Another part of this compassion fatigue and self-respect action plan that I have extremely large amounts of exclamation points next to is being able to set boundaries. So as I was preparing this project, I was thinking about how I feel like there's never an end to emails. And at the end of the day, there's nothing worse than at 9 p.m. getting yet another email from a professor because that's when they have chosen to work. And I have now chosen to enter into more of a relaxing stage. So something that I learned for myself that I would like to implement as an educator is setting boundaries that after 5 p.m., I will not be answering Emails and I will be done with my grading, and I will move into the human portion of Natalie being a human and not Natalie as an educator. And I think setting these boundaries of actually, I have a perfect anecdote for this that I will conclude on. My roommate and I are roommates since freshman year, and both of us have very high work ethics and ambitions and overall integrity towards our schoolwork. And this year, because we are confined to our apartment and I escape to the library quite frequently. We made up a rule at the beginning of the year that when it was time for dinner, we would have dinner and we would no longer do homework after dinner because we were trying to set up a dynamic in which we were separating school self from self-care human self. And creating this dynamic within our apartment, even just the two of us, has helped lessen the overall anxiety and worry and burden and stress that I have if I know that I have additional things that I could have accomplished through the day. I work hard all day long and when it is time for dinner, dinner comes and I am no longer interacting with my schoolwork because that is a boundary I have created. And I think this has helped me get to the point that I am at while I am extremely burnt out and fatigued from my compassion towards education and being the best student that I can be for all of my future students. I think that these boundaries are part of being an assertive adult and being assertive and having self-respect. And with that, I just want to conclude in saying that this project has shown me the important values and experiences and ideas that I want to remember as I become transitioned from a pre-service teacher into a teacher in order to present the best teacher I can to my future students.